The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so we are, we've been in this series called Empowered, How the Holy Spirit Leads Us. Uh, last week, Michael talked about the gifts of the Spirit. The week before that, experiencing the Holy Spirit. And today, we wanted to do something a little different. So, Michael, what's, what's happening here? Yeah, if this is your first Sunday, welcome. We don't normally do this. Normally, there's just one of us up here about to talk for the next half hour. So, so this is a unique Sunday. So, hey, so we're talking um, today as we're continuing in our series in the Holy Spirit. We're not ending it today. We have two more weeks. Ben will be preaching um, for us the next two Sundays. But, but we're, we're answering today some of the more hard topics or questions that often come up with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And rather than just me get up and share with you, I thought, hey, one of the greatest blessings of our church is the pastoral staff that we have. They're all gifted and talented. And and we all come from unique and different backgrounds, um, but we love Jesus just the same. And so rather than just hear from me as we dive into some of these topics and conversations, we get to hear from collective wisdom, and I think we all will be better for it. Now, when you put a bunch of pastors on stage, 60-minute service can quickly turn into three hours. So we'll be done by 8 p.m. <laughs> I will uh, do my best to moderate this discussion. We've got a few questions. Anthony, Michael, and Ben will be answering those. I think, I think we even have some Oscars music queued up in case they go a little long, right? Yeah, <laughs> We're in this together. That, that, that applies to me, too. All right. Let's, let's jump right into the, the deep end, shall we? Yes. What? <laughs> that, that's not what, how this uh... goes, Brian. That's not how this goes. Nice try, though. <laughs> wow. Nice. I like that reference. Wow. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Going back to the deep end, which we're, we're, we're heading there now. Uh, what, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Anthony, you want to take this? Thank you for this softball of a question. Uh, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's dive in. Uh, let's look at a couple verses to go grab the context of this. So in Mark chapter 3, we see Jesus casting out demons, as Jesus does. Um, but the Pharisees have an issue with it, and they say he's able to cast out these demons because he is the prince of demons, to which Jesus responds with a parable. And then this, he says, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. So that sounds pretty harsh. It sounds pretty pretty clear cut. Again, in let's look at Luke chapter 12, where again we get this idea of this unforgivable sin. So Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, as Jesus tends to do. He's warning them against the yeast of the Pharisees. He's cautioning them against their teachings. Uh, and then he says this in verse 8, 9, and 10. He says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So this is where we get this idea, this concept of this unforgivable sin. So what is this blasphemy and how do we commit it? 
In short, it's this. It is the continual rejection and denial of the working of the Holy Spirit, which leads to the ultimate denial of the Lordship of Jesus. So this is not a one-time saying. It's not a one-time action. If it was, the Apostle Paul would have committed it as he was a zealous Jew persecuting the early Christians. This is not, you know, you don't have to worry about a joke you told about God in middle school or something you said in high school. What the unforgivable sin is it's a life posture. It's a heart posture. It's something that continues through your life. And so one commentary put it this way in reference to, to Luke chapter 12. It says, Jesus introduces this, the unforgivable sin, with a statement that a word spoken against himself can be forgiven. Yet even sin against Jesus may be forgiven. People may blaspheme and then repent. The, the blasphemy is not their final word. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit is in a much worse case. We must understand this. Not of the uttering of any form of words, but the set of the life. This blasphemy is so serious because it concerns the whole person, not just a few words spoken on any occasion. People in this situation cannot repent of, uh, of sin because they lack this, this sense of their sin. They reject God's competence to declare what is right. It is this continuing attitude that is the ultimate sin. God's power is, it's, his forgiveness is not abated, meaning he, 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 meaning it's, it's not a lack of God's power, but this kind of sinner is no longer, no longer has the capacity to repent and believe. So that is the unforgivable sin. It's so much more than just a saying, so much than a single action. It's, it's the entirety of your life. It's the ultimate denial of Jesus as Lord and belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's, that's the ultimate sin. That's the unforgivable sin. One theologian stated it this way. If you are worried, if you're concerned, if you're like, oh my gosh, have I committed this? Then I assure you, you have not. Because if you're in this place worried and concerned that you may have committed this, the Holy Spirit is already working with you. You already have declared Jesus as Lord of your life. So if you're worried about it, I assure you, you have not committed it. That's good. Okay. Our all of the spiritual gifts in operation today? Yeah, so that's a big question. Um, first off, to, I'll, I'll help kind of set us up and give us some perspective on this. So last week, if you are here, we talked about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 has a list of gifts. We also read Romans 12, which has a list of gifts. There's many of those gifts that all believers know are still active, still God still uses in the church today. There's certain gifts that are sometimes called sign gifts or more miraculous or supernatural gifts that there's disagreement amongst Christians over their use and practice today. Notice I say there's disagreement agreement amongst Christians. They're not unchristian or non-Christian if they disagree with our view or with your view. Now, those are typically, I don't even like the word supernatural miraculous gifts because every gift of the Spirit God gives to you is miraculous. It goes far beyond what you could do in your own human capacity. But there's primarily when we talk about these three gifts that, that come up as those that, that people have discussion about, are they still active in the church and in the life of the believer today? Um, the one of those is, is prophecy. And prophecy is not just the ability to tell the future, but I like how one scholar said prophecy is the, the declaration of God's will specifically to his people. And so that God anoints people and gives people this gift to specifically apply scripture directly to people's lives. Another one is healing. 
Do miraculous healings still take place today? We see this in the Bible. We see Jesus doing this. Is this still to happen? Is this still characteristic of Christianity today? And then the third one, and far, I think, the hardest one to understand for sure, are what is called speaking in tongues. Or tongues. We have in, in the New Testament, there's really two, two kind of ways that we see speaking in tongues take place. First is in Acts chapter 2, and we see this in other places, but Acts 2 is the most well-known one. It's called the Day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down on the believers. They're preaching the gospel in their language, and people are hearing the gospel in their own native language and are able to understand and comprehend what is being said. And so this is the ability to speak languages that aren't known to you so that the gospel can go forth and other people are understanding language. So it's the ability to speak a human language that you don't know. The other way that, that tongues are talked about, and especially in 1 Corinthians 14, the, the easiest way that I've seen to describe this is a private prayer language between a believer and God. And I've been greatly helped. If, if speaking in tongues and you're wondering, what is this about? What's the biblical basis for this? Help me understand this more. Um, a great book that I've read um, that I would encourage you is, this is a book called Sam Storm by Sam Storms called The Language of Heaven. And it's all about questions about what is speaking in tongues and wh- what is the role of it in the life of believers today. He writes this, which I find helpful. He says this, The vast majority of instances where speaking in tongues occurs today are best explained as the Holy Spirit personally crafting or creating a special and unique language that enables a Christian to speak to God in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. This gift is not a human language that one might encounter in some foreign country, but a spirit-empowered capacity to speak meaningful words that are only understood by our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, within these gifts, especially these three use of gifts, there's a, a, a historical, there's a different perspectives on their use. Um, there's kind of two views. One's called cessationism, and one is called continuationism, and there's a spectrum along that as well. I don't think I've ever recommended this before at church, but Wikipedia actually gives a pretty good overview here. So if you literally just Google cessationism, that starts with a C, cessationism and continuationism in Wikipedia, like you could do a lot worse than reading. It gives an overview of some of the, the theological arguments around either side. Cessationism is the view that certain spiritual gifts, primarily prophecy, healing, and tongues, were given to the apostles to authenticate the preaching of the gospel in unchurched areas, but these were unique to the apostolic period and are no longer for believers today. And so this doctrine came to prominence by by John Calvin during the Reformation and and the Protestant Reformation of over 500 years ago. It's not the first time we see it. We see other church fathers um, back in in older times hold a similar view, but it really became well-known in circles, and it was a response at the time because the Catholics were pushing back against the Protestant Reformation with the miracles that they were claiming were happening in the Catholic Church. And so the Protestants were saying, no, that's not allowed. Those things don't happen anymore. And they developed a doctrine to help explain why. On the opposite side is continuationism, which simply believes that all of the gifts of the Spirit are active and gifted to believers today. Now, along the cessationism and continuation, I would say there's a spectrum of where people and where churches and denominations and, and believers fall. On one side, it's that these gifts are never in use ever, period, they don't happen. Some would say, well, they're not normative, but maybe when the gospel goes to a new place, 
that God would use these gifts to help establish the gospel somewhere. Others on a continuation side would say, yes, but we should be, we should be cautious and discerning on, on how these things happen and how they play out in the church. And others would say, well, these things happen and they should pretty much happen almost every time believers gather together. And so there's, that's kind of a spectrum of, of beliefs about it. And I've taken like three minutes to explain one of the most controversial doctrines of Christianity <laughs> to you. That's good. Thank you for that. One of the things I love about our pastoral staff is we all come from slightly different backgrounds. And I think it could be helpful for the church in this context to hear just a little bit about that. So Ben, would you, would you share? Yeah, for sure. It, it's a blessing. Every single one of us on, on stage were raised in the church and so grew up learning about this as well as just God and who he is. But as you grow up in a particular church, your theology can be formed by how that specific church preaches, how you interact with it, stuff like that. And uh, so there has to come a point where you start processing scripture for yourself. And so each of us will share some of our, you know, just upbringings in that Uh the, the church I was raised at was definitely more on the conservative side, but it would still fall under continuationist in the fact that they believed that the spiritual gifts, all the spiritual gifts were still in practice. But when these specific gifts came up, uh, prophecy, healings, and tongues, it was kind of like, let's not talk about it and let's just keep moving. It was It was glossed over. It was... Uh, kind of zipped over. And so I was the persistent kid that was like, well, but I have more questions about that, you know, and I want to know more. Uh, and so when we would actually start to sit and talk about those things, my my words uh, that were given to me were very much around, like Michael just talked about, around caution and around skepticism and pointing to passages like First uh, Corinthians 14, which gives very clear details about how to interact with some of those specific gifts, specifically around prophecy and tongues, to, to ask certain questions. Is there an interpreter there, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was taught or raised with a mindset of when I start to encounter those gifts, to, to interact with it with a huge dose of skepticism. Uh, I, I got to be really careful. I, I, I'm not going to just jump in and believe, but, but I'm going to interact with skepticism. But as I grew older and started diving into God's word more, I did find, yes, there are plenty of verses that talk about those kind of things, about how to be careful in interacting with the gifts. But there's a whole lot more of scripture. And there's a whole lot of passages that talk about those gifts being used for furthering the kingdom, uh, for, for revealing more of God and who he is. And so as I put that together, I started to realize that though caution is important, it shouldn't be first and foremost on your mind. That, that you shouldn't approach with skepticism, but rather with an attitude of surrender and listening to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Also, as I grew, I started to experience some of those gifts myself. I had people prophesy over me. I, I had people pray for me, and I experienced miraculous healing. I prayed over others and saw healing happen. Uh, I, I had friends that would talk to me about their experiences speaking in tongues. And the first couple of times I was approached with that, I, 
I jumped into my default of skepticism, but had to learn, no, like just listen to what they're saying. Listen to how the Holy Spirit is working in them and through them. And so that's where my understanding and beliefs shifted was to kind of lay down the skepticism mindset or the skepticism approach to still have caution, but to come with more of an attitude of expectation and surrender and, and listening to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Yeah, that's good. Such a, such a good posture, I think, to have. Anthony? Yeah, so for me, I spent the first 20-ish years of my life in a denomination that was very Pentecostal, very continu- continuationist, um, all the signs, all the stuff. Um, and there were some really good things that came with that and some less good things that that came with that. A couple of the good things were like, I, with the denomination comes almost one of their foundational verses was a verse in Hebrews, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just like the, the last song we sang, we sang, sang, same God. God did miracles in the Old Testament. God will do miracles today. It's the same God, same thing. So um, I grew up in, in this world of God can and will do miracles, both big and small, always. And so I still hold on to that, and, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, some of the some of the less good things were like as a foundational verse in this denomination or, or theological belief was the only evidence that if that you were truly saved was if you could speak in tongues. And so that was that was pretty 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 straight line clear cut. And I remember this time in my freshman year when we went to a summer camp. It was a different one because we couldn't get into a regular one. And we had the salvation night and then we had what we could just kind of termed Holy Spirit night, similar to your um, illustration a few a few weeks ago with the chocolate milk, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then it gets stirred up. So it was that night, and the pastor said, hey, tonight, everyone's going to speak in tongues. And that was a big thing for them, because that's how you can know if you're saved. And I was like, sweet, this is awesome, this is going to be great. And then an hour and a half later, with tears streaming down my face, I still couldn't, didn't speak in tongues. So am I wrong? Is there something wrong with me? What's, what's going on? Um, and I held on to that for, for a long time because I just couldn't understand and, and it wasn't clearly explained to me. Um, and so like, there's some really good things and some really bad things with being a very Pentecostally part of denomination thing. Um, where I am now as it's kind of funny as, as, uh, Ben was kind of explaining, like, I fully believe God can and will do miracles. I think they happen every day. I have yet to see, uh, you know, praying over a broken bone and it, you know, go back in. I have yet to, to see, uh, God split the Red Sea, like, but I, I believe those things can happen. Um, but where you're like, I, I'm all for it. I think I've moved a little bit more skepticism because I have seen some things where in the Pentecostal denominations be like, yes, this would be celebrated. But like me personally, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's God moving or that's someone trying to draw attention. So I think I, I've, we may have swapped places a little bit. Uh, and so it's, yeah, that's, that's kind of my story where, where I come from. Michael. Good. I grew up in a very different church than Anthony grew up in. Um, so I grew up in, in a Baptist church. This is not true of all Baptist churches, but I, I wanted to, I didn't want to misrepresent their view. So this is, um, the denomination I grew up in. This is their view of the denomination on their website. It says this. We believe 
that the signs slash revelatory gifts of the Holy Spirit have fulfilled their purpose and are not applicable to the work of the Holy Spirit today. So it was a very strong cessationist background that I had. In fact, the college that I went to, which I love and I recommend and I've worked with for many, many years, the college I went to was also cessationist, a Bible college. And this is their view. I pulled this from their website this week. It says this, we hold that sign gifts are not normative for the church today. While this institutional position is not and must not be a test of fellowship with those whose traditions defer, members of this community will not practice or propagate practices at variance with this position. And so when I shared it with these, these guys last, or last week or two weeks ago, Anthony pointed out that technically when I was in college and someone came to me and asked to pray for healing, I was supposed to say no. I won't pray for you for healing because I'll be propagating a use. So, so that this, this view of cessationism is actually what I entered ministry into. I was hired and started as a pastor two months after I graduated from college. And this was my working view. This is no longer the exact view where I am at today. Now, what, what shifted, what changed that now I am open to all of the gifts of the Spirit being used and being seen in the Christian life? A few things. First, when I went to graduate school, I started to study and read with, under different people and read wider theological voices um, than just what I had. So my mind started to grow. I started to dive into scripture more. And I had always, you know, we can kind of pull gotcha verses on certain doctrines. But when you read sometimes those gotcha verses and you read like the whole three chapters around it, suddenly they're not quite as powerful as they once seemed. And so I started to read scripture as a whole. If you have a similar background than I do, and you've never really dived into scripture and studied this view of, of these spiritual gifts, I would recommend I've read this book recently. It's by Jack Deere. This is the updated version. It says, why I am still surprised by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was a seminary professor at one of the most prominent seminaries in the U.S. who was a cessationist and then started to study scripture and it changed his view on the spiritual gifts. I think lastly for me, just similar to, to Ben, is my work in ministry and interaction with other people is I've started to see these gifts in their proper use take place. Um, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that, I received a video message from a pastor friend of mine who's here in the Bay Area. I know him, but he, he doesn't know all the details of my life and some of the things going on. And he was out for a walk with his dog and just recorded a video for me and said, Michael, as I was walking my dog today, I just felt like God had something from me that he wanted to give to you. And he started speaking things and details of the situation and some things I found myself in that only he could have known if God showed, showed it to him. He did not know these things. There would not, not have been like, oh, Michael's going through. He would not have known this. And the way, like literally I received this message and tears just started flowing down my face because I'm like, this is God speaking through him. Like this isn't just he thought, oh, I should send him a video to encourage him. It was clearly like, no, I just feel like God is, is something for you and I just wanna encourage you today. And it was so clear and so specific. And so I would also find myself now on that open side of saying, yes, God can work and will work in many mysterious ways, far beyond even what I would expect or understand. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Clearly there's, there's differing views. So how do we treat those who disagree over spiritual gifts do we we arm wrestle them and see who's <laughs> uh, yeah what do we do with that Anthony? yeah so this is my my rule for for disagreements is it a salvation issue is it salvific is it related to the salvation of of us if if no then as respectfully as i can i i, I don't care 
Now, I say that, I say that tongue-in-cheek, I say that for a bit of a reaction, but, like, like if it's not around that, then believe what you, I'm okay to agree to disagree. If, if you have your theological belief, and you can back it up with scripture, and it's good exegesis, and you have a good interpretation, two thumbs up, great job, let's talk about it, let's discuss, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, let's talk about it, let's discuss, let's come to an agreement, but I'm also okay with agreeing to disagree, I'm okay with that, because a lot of the disagreements that Christians have, as long as they they agree on on, on the big thing, a salvation issue, there's there's about 10% that we probably disagree on, so if you agree that God is holy, that he's just, that he sent his son from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to die willingly on the cross for your sins, and then raised three days later, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us and is now preparing a place in paradise for all those who believe. If you can agree with that statement, we agree on 93% of what the Bible says. And so we're good. And so if we have any disagreement, it's about some other stuff. Now, those are good, helpful conversations to have, and they should be talked about. But if it's not about salvation... Yeah. To that, now let's say we have a disagreement with, say, somebody from my, from my old denomination who says, Anthony, you're not saved if you can't speak in tongues. Okay, let's go back to the Bible. I can show you Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, where Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. And end of story. I can point to Luke 23 with a thief on the cross, where all that thief did is declare that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is Lord, and Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise today. And so if there's still that disagreement there, then you know what? Kindly, respectfully, full of grace, if there's if they're still just adamant, hey man, I appreciate your concern for my salvation. I really do. I appreciate that you care so much to have this argument with me that, that you want me in heaven. But biblically, I'm saved. So when I see you in heaven, give you a finger gun, <laughs> wave, and then walk away. That's what I would do. That's good. That's good. Love it. <laughs> finger gun in heaven. Can't wait. Let me, let me give you a two-minute, three-point sermon for me on how we, how we treat those who disagree with us over Spiritual gifts, and this would go beyond just some of the other doctrines that, that as Anthony said, aren't essential to salvation. Um, first, don't say the other side doesn't take the Bible seriously. Whatever your view is on spiritual gifts, I can find and point you very quickly to someone who knows way more about the Bible than you ever will and disagrees with you. So don't say, oh, if you took the Bible seriously, you'd think what I do. No, people take the Bible seriously and come to different conclusions than you do. Don't try and say people don't take the Bible seriously. Second is this, don't use those who misrepresent the position as characteristic of it. We've all seen as you're scrolling through TV late at night, although no one really scrolls, I don't at least scroll through TV late at night, but you used to scroll through TV late at night and you would see, hey, if you send in $100 to my ministry, you will receive a healing. And we're like, oh my goodness, anyone who believes in healing is just manipulative and wants people's money. Well, most people who believe in healing are like, yeah, that's manipulative and stupid and that's not of Jesus. And But don't take, because people manipulate and characterize situations and try and take advantage of them, that's not the normative thing. And so don't say, well, anyone who believes in this is thus like this. No, that's not the case. Don't use the misrepresentation of the view as the characteristic of it. And thirdly, I would just say this, don't act unchristian towards them. 
Don't act unchristian towards them. One of the things that breaks my heart is in the last, especially decade in the, in the Christian world, is there's been all sorts of books, big money conferences written with the primary purpose of bashing other believers who disagree with them on spiritual gifts. And I think that grieves God that we would bash others publicly over a theological disagreement that is not essential to salvation. See, it's, it's interesting, in, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are the main teachings on spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12, we talked about last week, the purpose of unity as we exercise our gifts. 14 is gets into more details about prophecy and, and tongues and how that works. Then there's 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter on love, right there in the middle. See, what is more important, the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. And if in talking about the gifts of the Spirit, you lack the fruit of the Spirit, you've missed the whole point of the Holy Spirit in your life. It says this in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. You can have all the gifts of the world, but if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit seen in your life, it doesn't matter. And so the fruit of the Spirit is more characteristic and should matter more than the gifts of the Spirit in our lives. And I just wanna say, we have a blessing in this church. There's many who come here from various theological backgrounds. Your view of spiritual gifts may be different than mine or Ben or Anthony's or Caleb's. This is your church. You're welcome here. There's no one position to hold on this. Wherever you fall on this, Morgan Hill Bible Church is your church and we're glad you're here. It's a good word. It's a good word. Yeah. It might have been a three-minute sermon. Sorry. <laughs> that was uh, a little over. No. Uh, okay, so let's, let's get a little into application, into how, how does this apply to me? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us? Like, how, how do I know that, Ben? Yeah. Uh, when you talk about application, I feel like this is the most prominent question that pops up, you know, um, I, I feel like I'm supposed to do X or, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to, you know, whatever. How do I know that that's the Holy Spirit talking to me? And I've been asked this question tons of times through my many years of ministry. And often a comment that follows that is, I wish God would speak to us the same way that he did in the Bible. Well, let me let you rest assured it was just as confusing for some of them as it is for us today, right? You think about Samuel, and he hears God speaking to him, and time after time after time, he thinks it's the priest, Eli, calling him. And he gets up, yes, Eli? Nope, go back. It wasn't me, you know? Uh, you've got Gideon that's given confirmation after confirmation that it's God speaking to him. And what does he do? He wants more confirmation. Well, Okay, that worked that time, but can we switch it now? You know, he was wrestling with it as well. You've got Elijah who is looking for this voice of God in all the wrong places. Is he in the whirlwind? Is he in the fire? Is he in the earthquake? No, he shows up in a still, small whisper. And so, yes, like, it, it takes... So the way that we know the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, for me, the biggest thing that I point to is time and relationship. Time and relationship. If I had everyone in this room start talking and one of those people was my wife, I would be able to pick out which one was my wife if I had a blindfold on. Why? Time and relationship. We've been married for 17 years. I know her voice. And on top of that, 
if some if one of you came to me and said, "You'll never believe what Laura told me," and starts talking, I can with pretty good confidence know whether she actually said what you're telling me or not. Why? Because I know her character. I know her heart. I know what she would say, and I know what she wouldn't say. And thus, it's the same with the Holy Spirit. The more we live in relationship with him, the more time we spend with him, the more we will be able to recognize his voice. I feel like I'm being prompted to go and do this, or I feel like the Spirit's telling me to do this. And the more you lean into that, the more you listen to that, the more you'll be able to recognize, yes, that's the Holy Spirit. Also, the more you get to know the Holy Spirit, you will know what he would say and what he wouldn't say. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell you to cheat on your spouse. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell you to commit murder. The Holy Spirit's not going to tell you to steal something. That's not the Holy Spirit. And the more you dive into Scripture and spend time with him, the more you'll know, yes, that's the Spirit's prompting. No, that's not. And I would say that our approach really matters too, how we approach listening to the Spirit. One author said it this way, I find that to hear the voice of God, we must be in a posture of quiet surrender. Quiet surrender. So coming with open hands, ready to hear whatever the Spirit has to say. If you're coming with a demanding or a reluctant posture, it's not going to go very well. You're going to have a hard time hearing from the Spirit if you're not willing to really listen to what he has to say to you. When I was in high school, uh, I saw this one kid sitting off by himself every day at lunch. And I just felt this like, I need to go and sit and have lunch with him. And I had a horrible posture around it. No, I don't want to. I want to sit with my friends. And then the next day, I felt that same prompting. That kid's sitting by himself, and I need to go and, and sit with him. Well, I'm sad to say the story doesn't have a good ending. I never went and sat with him because I continue to have that posture of reluctance. And it, and it kills me because later on, I finally realized that was the Holy Spirit talking to me. That was the Holy Spirit pushing me in that direction. And I refused to listen because I didn't have the right posture. Now, since then, yes, like I've heard the Holy Spirit speaking in different ways, prompting me, whether it's through a sermon or a song or a Bible verse, a conversation with others, an inner prompting. And sometimes he makes it really easy for me too, where I feel like, oh my gosh, like I really need to talk to this person. And minutes later, who's calling me on my phone? But that exact person. But just leaning in and saying yes when you hear those promptings and testing the Spirit is part of how you get more comfortable understanding that that's the Spirit talking to you. Yeah, I love what what Ben said. The Spirit will never contradict Scripture, right? The Spirit inspired Scripture. It is God's Word. It's God breathed to us. And if you think the Spirit is telling you to sin, it was that burrito you ate for dinner last night. Not the Spirit. So go and try again, because that's not God leading you to sin. Uh, another thing that I would say is, is that the Spirit often speaks to us through trusted counsel and wise people in our life. And so he will speak to you through those who are closest to you, which is why it's so important to surround yourself with mature and godly people who love 
God and are pursuing God as well because they will speak truth into your life that is God speaking to you. I mean, so, and, and the relationship matters as you walk alongside them. So if, if I have never met you before and you came up to me after church today and were like, hey, I think God has something for me that he wants me to tell you. Now I'm gonna listen to you, but if it was one of our pastors or one of our elders who came up to me and said, hey, God has something that he wants to share with you, I'm gonna listen a lot more. Why? Because I have relationship with them. I've walked with them. I've seen their walk with God. I trust them. And he often speaks to us with the people closest to us. I had a former mentor who used to say this, I don't always hear God speak, but when I do, he sounds a lot like my wife. <laughs> I think all of us can, can nod in agreement who are married, right? Like oftentimes God speaks to us through the people closest to us in our lives, which is why it's so important that we surround ourselves with those godly voices. That's good. That's real good. One of the things I I love about the Holy Spirit is it changes the way we see things. It changes the way we interpret things. And oftentimes we view our lives through our flaws. But when you have the Spirit of God as your interpreter, our lives start to look a whole lot different. There's redemption. There's purpose. We have a different perspective when we have the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit change the way that we see the world, Anthony? Yeah, a- absolutely. So I think the Holy Spirit changes our perspective. And I think that's that's the key thing. See, God loves us so much that he doesn't allow us to stay the same people that we were, nor the same people that we are. See, when we live our lives with God, he molds us and changes us into the people that he created us to be. Uh God knows our full potential and knows we aren't living up to it. And so the Holy Spirit helps us live up to that full potential that God has for us. I think that the Spirit does this by producing the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit just naturally produces these very same things, much like an apple tree just naturally produces apples. You plant it, it'll grow, eventually it'll produce apples and fruit. Now, there are things that we as Christians can do to to help this, to, to help water the tree, to give it sunlight, to prune it at times, to help it grow and give better and better fruit, but the the reverse is also the same, that we can do things in our lives to put that tree in darkness, to not prune it, to let it grow sick. So there are things that we can do to help these get these fruits and things we can do to harm, things we can do to help. Be in, be in your scripture, be in your word, be in community. Do those kinds of things with, with other believers and then naturally our lives will look more loving, will become more compassionate. Our lives will naturally become more joyful that we're able to, to withstand the hardships and the sufferings that just come through part of life and on and on and on. When we live life with the Holy Spirit, our perspective changes. That way when we go through hardships, our physical, we don't change states or anything, but when we go through hardships, when we go through trials, when we see people that maybe before we would have pitied or looked down on, now we just see compassion and love or where we would have hated them, we, we now see them as a child of God. And the Holy Spirit does that. That's not, that's not us. Ben? Yeah, it's, it's nice knowing I get to preach the next two weeks. So I get to expound a little bit more on <laughs> what we're talking about, which is great. Uh, very briefly, I'll just read this passage, and this is how uh, the Holy Spirit has given me a different perspective on life. Out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, 
our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And it's a God-given perspective for me to be thinking with a heavenly mindset, recognizing that this life is not all that there is, but that God is preparing for us something far beyond what we could ever dream or imagine. Yeah, I would just say too, I came across recently um, a term, I think it's from psychology actually, and it's called inattentional blindness. And the idea behind this term is most of what happens in your life, you don't see or perceive, right? Most of our lives happen around us and we see very little of the things that are going on around us. What do we see? We see what we are looking for. We see that our, our minds perceive and see the things that we have set our hearts and minds on seeing, which is why scripture talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we would start to see the things of God in our world. And if your mind and the things that you're looking for, if your mind is formed by your social media feed and the news that's coming out and all these different things, you're going to start to be filled and see anxiety and pain and worry everywhere because that's what your mind is looking for. Whereas if you start to fill your mind with scripture, You start to ask, God, would you show yourself to me today? Holy Spirit, would you help me see every interaction today is given to me in a way to honor and speak your love to others? You're going to start to see God all over in your life. It's not that he just showed up. God is always there. The question is, are we listening and are we looking for him? Thank you. It's been great. Thank you for taking the time to share a little bit of your perspective. Makhli, you want to wrap us up and pray for us? Yeah, let me pray for us. God, we do thank you that you have sent us your promised Holy Spirit and that when we have placed our faith in you, you came and you've made your home within us. God, we still marvel at the fact that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living and active inside of our lives and our hearts to give us all we need to live a life of godliness, of hope, of purpose, and of meaning in this world. God, I pray that our lives and that this church should be continually and more so characterized by your spirit, that you would use us far beyond what we could ever do on our own, that you would do a work of God in this and through this church that's far beyond what could ever be explained in human terms. God, we ask that you would use your spirit through us for the honor and glory of Jesus where you've placed us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.